Have you ever wondered what it would be like to work for the AQHA? Are you ambitious but also prioritize your family? Well, this episode is for you. Today, we interview Patty Tyberg, the Chief Marketing and Business Development Officer of the American Quarter Horse Association. In this podcast, we go beyond the saddle as we explore professional careers across the equine industry. I'm your host, Katie Kleinbell. Let's tack up and head out. Welcome back to Beyond the Saddle. Today we have a very special guest, and that is Patty Tyberg from the American Quarter Horse Association. And Patty and I have talked about her coming on the podcast for so long, too long, really. Um, so I'm just so honored and so thankful that you're able to join us, Patty. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad we were able to make this work and connect today. Yes, you have such an important job with the AQHA. You are the Chief Marketing and Business Development Officer. So can you talk about what that means? What are your responsibilities? People are very familiar with AQHA. You know, there's a lot of visibility in the equine industry as to what AQHA is and the breadth of it. Um, But I know that when you highlight what you do and everything that goes into your organization, people will be amazed. So I'll give you the floor. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting to work for AQHA. It's kind of full circle for me. I actually grew up showing American Quarter Horses as a, in grade school and up through high school and early college. So um, pretty neat to be part of the organization that I got started with in the horse industry. And yes, AQHA is the largest breed association in the world. So it's um, there's quite a lot of facets to it. And the best part of my job is I get to touch in some way all of them as the over the marketing department, all of the media, social media publications, video production, the graphic team, uh, as well as corporate partners and sponsorships. So it's uh, a really diverse areas that I get to cover. And I really love that about my job. Um, it's fun to, to dabble in the marketing and then a couple hours later be talking about a corporate partnership and a few hours later be talking about our amazing quarter horse journal that our team produces or a racing journal, um, lots of new video production opportunities and, and projects that we have in the works. Obviously, we just launched a podcast, Let's Talk AQHA as well, which is a project in collaboration with our communications department. So, uh, so yes, lots of, lots of irons in the fire, and uh, it's pretty exciting to be a part of. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine how many irons are in that there fire. <laughs> but I think maybe that's a small misconception about being in a leadership role um, is that you really do get to touch so many different facets, right? Like it's not all just, you know, numbers, which are very important, right? And leading the business forward financially and making those good sound leadership decisions. Um, but as chief marketing and business development officer, you get to be part of the podcast launching and be part of all of those different programs, right? Yes, absolutely. I love that. Well, let's talk a little bit about your career journey. So um, I think people see this, you know, ladder to climb, if you will, um, to get to a leadership position um, and what those stepping stones are, et cetera. But it seems, you know, for someone in my shoes, right, who is pretty young in her career, like such a long road and such an exciting journey to get to that point. Um, So if you could talk a little bit about what those stepping stones were for you, how you got here into this leadership position, and just talk about that journey and all of its twists and turns that led you here. Yes, that's a fun thing to talk about. Um, and it's it's extremely relevant to me right now because I have a daughter who is a freshman in college and just 
getting started on this journey. And uh, I tend to like to give her advice, which she doesn't always like to take. But uh, as part of that, I, I talk about it's not always what you know. A lot of times it's who you know. And that if I ever give a young person advice, the number one thing I tell them is to network. Because I can absolutely say every position I've held in this industry has been because of relationships that I have formed. And just being in the right place at the right time and speaking up to the right people and making sure that they meet me and that I make an impression on them. And that is absolutely how I've gotten to where I am today. And um, and that really started with AQHA, showing in AQHA growing up and meeting a lot of people in the association who helped guide me and, and shape me into who I am today. And then I rode on the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association team at Texas A&M, which was quite a journey for me. Um, I grew up on Long Island, New York, and which most people assume is New York City and that there aren't any horses there, but there's actually quite a bit of agriculture and, and the horse industry at the time particularly was thriving there and, um, and decided to journey off to Texas to go to college. So uh, Texas A&M started the IHSA team while I was there and I was fortunate to make the team and be a part of it. And so my first job out of college I actually met the folks from Miller's Harness Company, which is a company that's no longer in existence. Um, and they were a big sponsor of AQHA and the Congress and, and a bunch of the other organizations and, and events throughout the country that happened in the horse industry. And they sponsored um, some quarter horse events, obviously, because they were an AQHA sponsor. And I met the executives at IHSA Nationals. They needed somebody to work a booth for them at an AQHA event. And it was right on top of King of Prussia trade show. So their team was fully, fully invested in putting that trade show on. And so I got hired while I was at AM to work the booth for them. And through that, uh, did that, I believe, two events for them and then got hired right out of college as a sales rep for Miller's Harness Company. So it was um, it was it was really about being in the right place, speaking up, getting to know the people and uh, kind of a fun twist to that story. When we showed up, Texas A&M made it to nationals the first year we had the team. And when we showed up to nationals, um, we had found out right before getting there that our there was some glitch in our paperwork or some rule, and I can't remember the details, but they were needing us to come in and clarify some things in front of their board. Or And if it didn't go well, we were not going to be able to compete. Well, our coach could not get there in time, and so I was nominated to represent our team in front of the board of IHSA, which was really intimidating at the time. And I went in there, luckily I knew a few of the people on the board. My father owned a feed company on Long Island. And so there were some, uh, there was one familiar face in there for sure, who, which comforted me quite a bit. But through that, I got to meet Bob Cashione, several of the other executives from IHSA. And I luckily answered all the questions correctly and we were able to compete that year, which was really exciting. But that also, I feel, helped me make an impression on the, those um, the, those who were there who then shared that with Millers. And there may have even been somebody from Millers in the in that meeting, but uh, it's, it's definitely part of that being in the right place at the right time. I love that. You can't ever say no because you just never know, do you? No. 
It's so amazing. Well, and what I love about you, Patty, anybody that knows Patty knows just how approachable you are. Like you're so easy to talk to and you're so forthcoming um, with, you know, your experiences and really getting to know people. So I love that advice of just, you never know who, who you're going to need to know. And it's not who, what you know, it's who you know. And I think you exemplify that because I can tell when I'm around you or talking with you, that it's really genuine. Um, and it seems to me that that has served you quite well throughout this whole journey. Absolutely. It, it has. Yes. That that's something I learned from my father a long time ago is just, you know, honesty, integrity, being, being yourself and just sharing the passion for this industry will get you a long way, but uh, never, never burning a bridge. Cause you never know if you're going to need to cross that bridge again. And that's, that's always been important to me uh, through my career and my personal life. Ain't that the truth? Absolutely. Can we talk about your time um, with Morris Media Group? Um, I, you know, that's kindred a little bit to what we do here at the Equine Network. So I would love to kind of chat about that because our journeys kind of align there a little bit. So yes, after after Miller's Harness Company, I went to work for a short time for the Alabama Quarter Horse Association. Spent five years there, and then really. My goal was to get back to Texas because obviously Miller's was in New Jersey, so it brought me back east, which is where I grew up, but that's not really where I wanted to be. I wanted, I fell in love with Texas when I was in college and really wanted to get back here at some point, but was was honest and willing to go wherever I needed to go to, to find the right job and the right opportunity. But uh, at that point, after five years in Alabama, I really was determined to get back. And so um, was fortunate to come back and work for a short stint with the Horse Industry Alliance. And through that, met Carl Mullins, who at the time was running what was known as Cowboy Publishing Group, which was part of Morris Communications Company. And he and I became friends, and and eventually an opportunity opened up at Morris that he could bring me on board. And I went to work for them and spent 20 years at Morris. Um, saw a lot of growth and change while I was there. We the company purchased Western Horsemen, which was a huge, um, a huge addition to the to the group, which was Quarter Horse News, Barrel Horse News were the primary at the time I started there. And they had a publication called Horse Trader for a short time. Um, but but Western Horsemen was obviously the pinnacle acquisition. And then from there we started getting into events and they um, they had owned the National Barrel Horse Association, purchased the West Coast Barrel Racing Association. Uh, purchased Road to the Horse years later. And so it was really fun to be a part of that journey for 20 years. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Never thought with an animal science degree from Texas A&M, I would end up in the publication space. But it's, um, you know, media is media. And, and obviously, we've seen a lot of changes with print shifting to digital and social. But I, I, I still believe in print. I'm very passionate about print and was extremely proud of the products that that we produced and how we launched. I mean, we were back in 2009, I remember launching the Facebook pages for all of our brands. And uh, when that journey began for us, it was quite exciting to be a part of that and to see where it is today and the, and the numbers that several of the publications and media groups and associations and companies in our industry, the millions and millions of followers that we have as an industry. It's very exciting to see. And it definitely keeps us on our toes, doesn't it? There's never a dull moment when we're working in media. What's going to change next? What do we need to learn? <laughs> Absolutely. It is It is constantly evolving, for sure. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Well, you so you had great opportunity to learn and to grow in the space of like membership and member services um, with the Horse Industry Alliance. And then you moved to Morris, of course, giving you lots of opportunity to talk about media, to be part of events. All of that really has braided pretty nicely into your role with AQHA, hasn't it? 
Yes, it really has. And, and even the time I spent in Alabama, I was with the Alabama Quarter Association for a year and worked for a wonderful gentleman. His name was Ben Collier and his wife, Paris, um, now known as Paris Wixon. Um, she's involved with AQHA as a director from Alabama. And so we're still friends. But I, I spent a year with the association and then four years working for their company. So that was a stint where I was out of the horse industry. And to be honest, it, it probably was one of the largest growth opportunities for me because I really got to see how a large corporation that, that they owned this corporation and brought me in. Um, I held several different uh, titles or areas of responsibility while I was there and, and grew kind of from a document control person to being a production manager on the production floor for a short time and then moving into sales for them. And they did electrical wiring harnesses. Um, it was it was really an interesting time in my life, and I was able to continue my passion with the horse industry. Obviously, I had my own horses at the time. Paris also had some really nice stallions she stood, and I got involved a little bit with that, helped her put a business plan together for her breeding program, and and that was the time where a lot of, a lot of breeding farms and training facilities were getting on more automated systems to manage the vet care and the breeding program and all of that, and so we transitioned Paris's um, Paris's ranch onto that type of system, and I was able to be a part of that. So I was able to keep my passion alive, but I learned so much working outside of the industry for those four years, just about how the general business world works and um, you know what makes it tick, and, and really enjoyed that and was thankful for that. But obviously was, was excited to get back into the horse industry and take everything that I learned there with me. Um, and it really paid off to have that little bit of time outside the industry. Ooh, I love that we're talking about this. I think that um, it's maybe like a little underrated, I suppose, um, to go and spend some time outside of the equine industry and then come back and just apply, you know, the things you've learned, the things you've seen, really to help us grow and move the equine industry forward um, from those experiences. Absolutely. You know, as I was talking with my daughter earlier, she's She's majoring in marketing and management um, at Oklahoma State University. And I've, I've told her the reason I wanted her to go marketing is I really wanted her to get a solid understanding of the data side of marketing, because that's what everything's based on now. We have so much data we can use to make marketing decisions and smart business decisions. And she she thrives in statistics and math, lo math loves all of that, but also has some creativity. And I said, I'd love for you to get a job out of college, maybe outside the industry for a little while. I know that's not popular and a lot of people in the industry might frown upon that, but I think it, it's good for people to spend some time outside and see it from another perspective. And you know, our industry tends to be a little bit slower to move on some more progressive types of, of marketing and um, you know, you're just really stepping out of the box on things. There's not as much comfort within the equine industry for that. So I think it's great for young, you know, young men and women to learn that and see that and experience that outside of the industry and then bring what they learn back in. Ooh, that's spectacular advice. Absolutely. When I think um, there's a lot of opportunity there for the equine industry in general, right? Like horses will always be here, right? Like you can always come back to horses, you know, at any point in your life, um, whether it's career-wise or personally, they're always going to be there and it's always going to be something that you love. And I think that there's a ton of opportunity to even have conversation, right? Open conversation with people, you know, who may are maybe interested in horses or, you know, who love them from afar. But when you're in more of the those situations, either professionally or personally, where you can bring your passion for horses and for the equine industry to it, it just makes us all better. It is. It is. It's interesting. We we put on a youth excellence seminar every summer, and 
one year I was I was speaking at that to the group of about 120 just remarkable young individuals who represent the gamut of, of AQHA or passionate about the American Portal Horse, you know, from show to race to to people who grew up on ranches, whatever their area of interest is. And I asked them how many of them plan right out of college to, to go into a career in the horse industry. And it it actually surprised me that there weren't as many as I thought there would be who would raise their hand and want to come into our industry. And I, I think a lot of young kids don't realize you know, diversity within our industry, how many types of careers there can be in this industry. There was one young lady I spoke to, she was, she wanted to go into finance. Well, I was, when I was talking to her, I said, well, you can come into finance within our industry. QHA has a chief financial officer. Every organization has a finance department and you can combine that passion with that. If you, you know, think if financial advising, what you want to do, you can go be a financial advisor for ranchers. Um, there's opportunities in our industry that we don't always think about. And I know a lot of the universities are really trying to get the word out about that. And that's really important. And every opportunity I have to talk to young young people about it, I, I love to do that because I, as much as I do think it's great to go outside the industry, the passion is what drives this industry. And when I'm hiring people, I'm always looking for that passion. It is not an easy industry to come into and learn if you don't have the passion. You don't necessarily have to be somebody who rides every day to have the passion, but having that passion just, it, it makes the job more enjoyable. And to be honest, when you love what you do, you're going to be better at it. I've, I've felt that my entire career and seen it with all of the, the staff members I've had working with me and alongside me. Um, the fact that they're passionate about it, it really fuels them and drives them. So I always encourage them to consider other, there's, you know, further, we don't necessarily mean you need to be a horse trainer or a vet or a farrier. There's so many other types of jobs, like what you do. I, I mean, I think when I was younger, I would have loved to do what you do for Equine Network. You have a great job. And I, I think a lot of young people don't realize those jobs are out there. So, so true, which is exactly why this podcast is here too, because it is so hard to like help drive that message home and really help showcase all of the amazing things that we need in the equine industry. We need chief financial officers or none of this works, you know? Yes. Yes. I also love that you Absolutely. touched on in there too, that, um, having that passion is so very important um, to work for a company like AQHA or like Equine Network, where when you really love what you do, you're going to put 150% into it and making it great. But I also love that you said that you don't, that doesn't necessarily mean that you ride every day or that you compete, right? Like loving the industry and feeling passionate about making the industry better doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you know, going to the Congress or going to the world show or whatnot, right? But you love it nonetheless. Absolutely. Very, very true. So, so good. Oh my gosh, Patty. Yes, this is so great. Thank you so much for talking about all of these so, so important things, especially as a visible leader in the industry. Like you have this position that I imagine can be very demanding um, and, you know, pressure to help lead the industry forward. AQHA is such a big player in all of the equine industry. Um, but you also, like you're carrying that burden, but you also have a really vibrant personal life beyond your career. So I would love to talk about that. Talk to us about who you are outside of AQHA and how on earth do you maintain a healthy work-life balance? 
you know, that is something I learned um, during a very challenging time in my life. Prior to um, having children, I was probably known as a very tough boss. And I was um, very, I'm very fortunate. I've married an amazing man. My husband, Stephen, is is my partner in life and everything that we do. It's a 50-50, in which I'm, I'm so blessed that we have that kind of relationship. And, you know, that's not everybody's relationship in the industry. And, and in my earlier days in my career, I was a tough boss. I didn't understand when somebody would come to me and say, I need to be home. My kid has the sniffles today. Or, you know, they, they'd call in for every little thing that was going on at this kid, their kid's school. And I didn't understand why they had to miss work for that and how they could put that as a priority. I was so driven and so career focused early on in my career. And God gave me a gift and gave me my son, Colby, um, married nine years before he was born. And he was born with um, what's called Coolin DeFree syndrome. So he was born with special needs, spent five and a half weeks in the NICU and bringing him home. You know, he was on heart monitors and all types of devices and stuff. It was a major turning point in my life. And, and I truly believe it was a gift to me because it it completely reshaped who I was as a manager, as a leader, and and as you know, in my personal relationships with my family and my friends. And it wasn't conscious. It was an it was kind of a it just happened. I mean, people always ask, you know, how do you parent a special needs child? It's hard enough to parent a typical child, and you just do. And in doing that, I learned the importance of, you know, he was demanding. I didn't have a choice. I had to be here, but I also had to be the best I could be at work. And I had to find that balance of being sure I was committed to Morris and giving them my time, but also being there for him when he needed me. And he had lots of therapy appointments and doctor appointments and hospital stints as a toddler and just uh, you just learn to figure it out. And I know now I don't wish that upon anybody. But I do like to tell people, you know, that story and and share it with young people, especially those who are, you know, early in their careers or just recently married or, you know, starting that phase of their life. Um, because it's whether it's friends, whether it's your family, whether it's your children, it's all really important because you you need it for everything. I recently worked, this is a good story, I recently worked with a life coach on some things. I, I had some challenges in my life that I needed to really talk to somebody about and I'm I'm so tied up in this industry. I have a friend group outside the horse industry, obviously, but so much of my core friend group are the people in the horse industry. So when I have challenges or things that are worrying me within my industry, they tend to be the people I go to. Well, it doesn't always make sense for them to be the people I go to on everything. So I started talking to this life coach and and I hired her completely for professional advice. And the first session I had with her, she wanted to know my personal story. And I said, that's not what I need you for. I need you for my professional. I have some professional things I want to talk through with you. And she she said, well, just let's just go through this as a formality. Please just fill out this one questionnaire. Let's go over it. Let's talk about some of your personal things. And at the time, um, as I'm telling her these things, uh, my daughter was about to leave to go to college. My 
you know, my son was was had graduated high school, had gotten a job that that we were so excited about. It had fallen through, and he was in a very transitional state. And then we had to figure out what to do with him all summer to keep him engaged and and keep him going and motivated, where he wasn't going to just sit and be on social media all day. And there were several other things going on in my life. And at the end of it, she said, "Are you sure we don't need to talk about your personal life?" She said, "They're way more intertwined than you think," and she was one hundred percent right. Because if you're not happy at home, it's hard to be happy in your career as well. So you really, it's so important to, to find that balance, however you do it. One thing we did while my kids were in, in grade school and on up through high school, we had busy schedules. My daughter rode, you know, I travel a lot for work, but if there was, if, if it, all possible every night, we all sat down at the dinner table together, whether it was four o'clock or eight o'clock at night, whatever worked for our schedule we would do it. And we've we've done that up until my daughter leaving and we still do it. We sit down with my son every night that we can and have dinner together as a family. I may come back into my office. I work from home. I'm very fortunate to be able to do that, which does make it a lot easier. But this has only been the last three years I've worked from home. The rest of my career, I've always worked in an office environment. Um, and, and we did that then. I would come home from work and we would have dinner together as a family. And uh, and I may, like I said, I may go back to work afterwards and work for a couple hours, but then I also make time for my husband every night to go sit down. We talk for a while. We'll watch TV together, whatever it is, whatever it is you do, whether it's you go ride together, whether it's my husband is not a horse person. So um, it was just kind of nice that we we have other things that we do together and, and have our social group of friends. We do things. We travel a lot and do little staycations and weekend trips together. Sometimes he'll tag along for a work event, but we've made it a priority and it's really paid off. Oh man, Patty, I knew when we had this question kind of brainstorming before our interview that I was like, this this is gonna be impactful. Like <laughs> Patty's gonna have some good stuff to say here, um, but I, I didn't expect it to be so deep and so personal. So thank you so much for sharing because we are our whole package, right? Like you can't separate yes. yourself from your personal life and your career as much as we might want to, <laughs> we can't. Oh my gosh, Patty, I admire you so much. I don't know how you juggle it all. <laughs> you do it with such grace. Yeah, it's the passion. I love it. That's for sure. The only <laughs> thing I do miss is getting to sling my leg over a horse as much. And I'm hoping that that I can get back in the saddle for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we didn't even talk about your daughter and her competing. She rides on her jumpers. Is that right? She did eventing. Oh, eventing. Yeah. One of the things about that was the fact that she was in an industry that was totally... Greek to me. I mean, it was the horse industry, but nothing I'd been around my life. And I'd been around the hunters some growing up on, in New York, but I'd never really been around eventing. And, and it was cool because she, you know, I didn't have to be Patty Tyberg from AQHA when I was with her at shows. I could just be a horse show mom. Oh, I love that. How cool. And she is the coolest horse show mom. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. Very fun for me, for sure. Yeah. Well, talk to me about, so, um, so she's competing in eventing, uh, where were you living at the time? And, you know, what was that like to, you know, take her to practices, to events, to shows? Like, how did you manage all of that? It was not easy. Definitely not easy. I made a lot of trips to shows. Thankful thankfully, most of the shows were regional. Um, she did, she did go to the AECs in Lexington one year, but other than that, it was mostly within a three state area. And so, yes, juggling, Finishing up at one of our shows and jumping in the car on a on a Friday or Saturday to drive to wherever she was going to be showing um, was definitely 
challenging. In the last year, her senior year in high school, we really went all out, went to a lot of shows. We we actually took some trips to Florida and showed at a couple of shows there, uh, which was just an amazing experience to have that time with her and to really, really put everything into to being there for her and, and being her partner and all of that and, and being that horse show mom that my mom was to me growing up and, and my dad as well. Both were so passionate about it. And uh, Stephen came to a lot of the shows, but he was busy holding down the fort at the house and, and keeping Colby going and all the extracurricular activities that he does. But uh, it was it was definitely a learning experience because of being an industry that I'm not super familiar with. But, uh, but it was quite a journey. Taught her to be an amazing horsewoman. And she's actually shifted to Western now, which... I'm excited about. She's hoping to ride on the ranch horse team her uh, sophomore year at OSU. So we're going to be back looking for a horse here pretty soon. We're, we've gone almost not even six months without a horse and we're already talking about getting another horse. But that horse is going to have a dual purpose because she'll probably ride the horse in college, but then it'll become my horse when she graduates and starts her career because I'm I'm ready to get back in and start doing some some riding. And I really love the the ranch horse and stock horse industry and the the camaraderie and the people involved I'm, I'm very excited about that aspect of of aqha and, and the western industry oh i'm so excited for you and for taylor she's at oklahoma state right so she'll be able to yes. hopefully compete on the ranch horse team there with this unicorn horse that you guys need to find uh, yes. so she can do her thing and then you get to swing your leg over and have some more fun yes Yes, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I get to ride occasionally, but not near not near as much. And that all really stopped when Colby was born. Before that, I had I still had several horses, rode quite a bit. Um, was just starting to kind of try to get into the raining. Uh, growing up on Long Island, there was a ton of raining there when I was a kid, um, and I had the honor of riding with Bob Anthony for a short time. I rode with his wife Jean Carrington, and uh, she coached me, and I got to watch him and, and go to reading events and grew up with just a lot of the the people from the industry who really between Ohio and New York kind of got the ringing industry really going before it all shifted this direction and uh and just absolutely loved being a part of that growing up. So it um it was really fun. My dad having the feed company up there, he delivered feed to a lot of the bigger barns and most of them obviously was a lot of hunter jumper up there but there were a fair amount of, of raining farms and some of them were rainers training trainers who would just come and spend their summers there because long island is the big sandbar so the ground was amazing it could oh, pour yeah. down rain on long island and an hour later it's just drained off and the ground on top is bone dry so that's what bob did he actually came went back and forth and came there and spent the summers there for a while and, uh, you know, and rode out there and then would go and do his winters, I believe in Florida uh, at the time. And some other trainers started doing that as well. But there were there were shows, the barn I trained at, I trained with a lady named Carol Potter after, after training with Jean Carrington. And the barn was Middle Island Arena on Long Island. And there actually were a lot of very big rainings out there between there and Pennsylvania and and so I was always out there for the raining shows and got to know all those people. And a lot of them were my dad's clients. So we had friends. We went and spent every Sunday. We would go and, and have lunch and hang out with a group. And they were all rainers. Actually, Pat Fierstein, who was the, the editor of The Rainer for years, was a part of that. Uh, and I became lifelong friends with with Pat and her family, with Bob Fierstein and um, Pat was an amazing, amazing editor and writer and just super passionate about the industry. And her husband, Bob, was actually one of my dad's clients. 
So um, at the feed company, so it's, it, it's just, and that all goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, just, you never know who you're going to meet and what the connection's going to be. It's, I was talking to Bill Brewer the other day. We have a new program at AQHA. We're really excited about called Wrangler Women of Influence, where we're going to be recognizing this year, four outstanding women of AQHA who have really made an impact on the industry. And so he he had some questions about it and we were talking and we started talking about people we both knew and where I grew up. And it just it was amazing the connections uh, that we had and how many ties we had throughout the industry. And, you know, just it doesn't matter the generation. There's still those connections. And I love that about this industry. It is a very small world and it, it for is. the best reasons, right? Like the yes. best, the best reasons that everybody's together and learning from each other and collaborating together. Oh, I just love it. And I'm so glad that you mentioned the Wrangler Women of Influence. Um, I've, I've seen this, I've been watching this, I've been seeing, you know, all of the, you know, ask for nominations and such. Let's talk about that a little bit and just like anything else on the radar for AQHA that you're excited about that's coming up. Absolutely. So yeah, we, you know, we when we renewed our contract with Wrangler this year, we were looking at some new things that we could do in the partnership. And at the same time, I'd been uh, I've attended the Cowgirl 30 Under 30 and was really excited about what Cowgirl Magazine was doing, recognizing the younger women in our industry, and was getting with some of my friends who were of the same generation I was and say, when are we going to have 15 over 50? <laughs> we all laugh because none of us really want to be uh, exposing our age. And so, <laughs> but, but in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, what can we do to recognize women, no matter what their age in the industry? Because there's there there are so many women under 30 who have made a significant impact and it's exciting to see where they're going to go and how much more they're going to do but there's there's women of all ages who have really left their mark on the industry and influenced and impacted and just driven driven the businesses they run or associations they've worked for run and uh it's it's quite an honor to be able to recognize them through this program you know it's it's there is no age criteria but it's but the the criteria in which the judges will be selecting from really lend themselves to somebody who has had a, a solid long career or passion in this industry. So we um, we received 26 nominations this first time around. We'll be selecting over the next few weeks the first four, um, and we'll recognize them at the World Show this year. We're going to have a reception um, during the AQHA World Show in Oklahoma City. So that's going to be a great event. And then next year, we'll honor four additional women. So um, we've got that going. And then I make I mentioned earlier, we've got our new podcast that we just we've had one uh, one episode we've launched and we're finalizing and editing our second that should come out here pretty soon. And and uh, just another way for us to communicate with members. You know, it's it's difficult to get through all the noise that you have to get through to communicate. And it's really important for AQHA, for all of us, to be able to communicate well with our constituents, whether it's members, customers, you know, we've got important things our members need to know, whether it's rule changes, if it's dates for our events, it's the things that impact what they're doing, the breeding decisions they're making, the competition decisions, the which trail they're going to go ride on, whatever it is, is impacted by decisions made at AQHA. And it's difficult to get those messages out. So any way we can do that but through the magazine, you know, obviously doing some outside advertising and, and you and I have been on some calls talking about that and 
you know, what can we do together in a partner to, to help get the word out, whether it's to current members or prospective members of AQHA, those who share the passion for the American Quarter Horse. It's all so important and so tied together. So that's the podcast will help with that. And um, we're, we're tweaking newsletters and we're constantly just looking at better ways that we can communicate. There's always something, right? Never a Joel moment and so many things we can do to, to talk to each other and to share the word and to get excited together and all that fun stuff. I know for me, um, watching the industry evolve over, over the last few years, especially breeders and breeding has become like really stepped in the spotlight or stepped back into the spotlight maybe. Um, and I think that's really fun. And I, I know AQHA is definitely a big piece of that and supporting that as we sort of look at these stallions and what that means for our industry going forward as well. Yeah, it's really become very selective. You know, back when I was a kid showing in the 80s, uh, we, you know, the all-around horse was very different from what the all-around horse looks like today. And now we've we've gotten horses that are just at the top of their game, no matter what the discipline that they're doing. I mean, just exceptional breeding that has gone into selecting these horses that really excel in the different, whether it's reining, cutting, cow horse, barrel racing, team roping. Um, it's it's fun to see it evolve. When I when I started at Morris, they had started the, the National Barrel Horse Association, launched Barrel Horse News, and that industry was really evolving. And, and back in the day, when you know in the 80s 90s people weren't really selective breeding for that they were taking horses that maybe didn't make it in another discipline or taking horses off the track and and making them into barrel horses now there is just, there are millions of dollars being paid out in the barrel racing industry and you know people really paying attention to the mares they're crossing and crossing on which stallions and looking at the data you know q data is a big part of that um, at aqha we have a database robin glenn uh, pedigrees that's now called QData and keeping all of the statistics on all of that so that people, whether you're breeding a barrel horse or cutting horse or reining a pleasure, you can look at those statistics and, and help utilize those to make your decisions. It's We have come a long way, very long way in this We industry. sure have. Yeah, absolutely. And um, talking about your daughter, and she's got that that mind for numbers. <laughs> that I mean, there's there's a lot of numbers there that go into this industry too. You know, from from all of those statistics and all of the data that's there. So you just never know, right? If you find that passion and the thing that you're good at, that that hard skill that you're good at, um, well, there's a way we can utilize it. That's for darn sure. Yes, there for sure, there definitely is. So as um, someone selfishly, <laughs> you you speak to me so clearly on this as someone who is ambitious, right? And you know, I, I want I want to be a leader and I want to to help my industry grow. Um, what advice do you have for someone like me um, who is very driven? And I am still in that phase of my life where I'm very focused on my career. What would you say to those folks out there? You know, as I started off our conversation, obviously the networking is huge, which you know, you're very fortunate. You do a lot of that just in your day-to-day -day work. It's not always easy for somebody who has an office job and isn't interacting with clients or others in the industry. So you've got to find other ways to do that um, and, and just and never settle, you know, always strive to be the best you can be in whatever you're doing, but also know that there's always opportunities out there, whether it's within the organization you're in or somewhere else, you know, try to find those opportunities and pursue those opportunities because I've always experienced in my career and, and in a lot of the people who've worked for me that a closed door has always been an open door. And, you know, every time I've had any kind of, um, 
you know, conflict in, in one of my career or, or any, even in my personal, it's in something has, a friendship has ended or there's always been something positive that's come out of it. And going back to my first career um, with Morris, they had dipped their toe into the Western industry. It was predominantly an English company at the time. And it was kind of when the whole line dance craze was going on and, and everybody was wearing what Western boots and hats and Western shirts. And so Miller's decided to give it a try. They had a product called the Heels Down sneaker that was revolutionary at the time. And so they hired a sales team and I ended up on that sales team selling that product. Um, it didn't do well and they ended up letting the entire sales team go and i was i had a contract on my house i was about to get married and got laid off from my job and it was really a stressful time for me but it led me to just venture out take that opportunity in alabama and then to get back to texas you know to never settle to just keep looking at every closed door as an opportunity for something better and it's always been that way in my life i may not think it when it's happening to me but it really has been. So that's that's always something that I recommend you know, people think about. And it's hard when you're young to think of, think ahead like that because we're so in the here and now and we're so all plugged into our social media and, and um, our technology and all of that, uh, that it's hard to think that far ahead in your life. But uh, it's really sure. important to do that. Absolutely. I love that. Never settle. And really you have, you're the epitome of, of building a life that matters, right? From start to finish, from when you wake up in the morning to going to work, um, to fulfill your cup, you know, doing the things that you know, that you were, you're made to do as, as a leader, as a career woman, um, but then coming home every night and making sure you have family dinner together. And it's the whole picture. You never settle across the board. No, you can't, you really can't. Oh, I love that so much. Patty, you are an inspiration. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your time today to come and talk with us on Beyond the Saddle about your career, about your life, about all of the things. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been a ton of fun. My pleasure. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. Thanks for riding along in this episode with Patty Tyberg of the AQHA. Do you know someone else who would be great to interview? Send me an email at beyondthesaddlepodcast at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. You can find Beyond the Saddle on Facebook and Instagram.